Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4 Triple Z Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. I'm joined in the studio by Razor. Hey, hey. And Evie. Oh, my goodness. Hi. Hi. <laughs> what have we got on the show today? Adrian, you've got some impressions of Cyberpunk 2048. 77. 77. <laughs> you, know, you had about 100 numbers to work with there, and you chose the wrong ones, but I knew that's fine. it was fine. somewhere in the 22nd century. Yeah, so CD Projekt Red has released uh, a bunch of gameplay from Cyberpunk, and it's looking hot, so I will have some impressions of that. I've been playing a cute little game called Donut County, where you control a hole. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Hole control. Hole oh. control. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. Nice. So, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with that later. All right. And Evie? Well, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Detroit becoming human, become human, which uh, is what Ray was playing, and he did a review, and I was like, oh, I want to play that. So I ended up playing it myself. And I'm also going to be talking about the virtual reality film festival that was down at the Powerhouse. Wonderful. Yeah. God, Detroit. I haven't played Detroit, but uh, that that game has become a meme factory. I'm loving the memes that are coming oh, out. Oh, really? Yeah, it's oh. great. I'll get to it at some we'll, point. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but first, we have some gaming news. After a 25-year break, Sega's classic beat-em-up franchise Streets of Rage will return with a new game. Streets of Rage 4 was announced this week by developers Lizard Cube and Guard Crush Games. A teaser trailer was released showing an updated cartoony aesthetic, showing original player characters Axel and Blaze. Hmm. Never played Streets of Rage. Uh, maybe I tried it once, like in an arcade. Was it in arcades? No, I think it was a Sega Mega Drive game. But Sega Mega Drive games did. There were some that were put into arcade machines. Yeah, like I played Golden Sonic the Hedgehog Axe. two. Yeah, Golden Axe as well. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. I I was pretty young at that time. But, um, but for those not in the know, it's one of those two D. Like Double Dragon. Yeah. Basically, Double Dragon came along and that was like really, really popular. And then Sega were like, we got to get in on this. Yeah. And they basically made Double Dragon change the characters around. But it's very, very awesome, very iconic game on its own anyway. Yeah. Uh, it also had terrific music. I hope they can get the original composer on board to do some fresh new tracks. Actually, we might dig up some Streets of Rage music for this show if we can. That'd be cool. I love me some Mega Drive bass. Yeah. It's got that. It's got that unique flavor to it. There's nothing quite like it, is there? Yeah, something with the uh, the audio chip with the Mega Drive. Yeah. It's that's got a really unique, distinct flavor. It is very uh, distinct. It's cool. Yeah. The boss of Epic Games, the studio behind Mega Smash Hit Fortnite, has criticized Google for publicizing a security flaw in the Android version of the game. Google published a report revealing that the Fortnite Android launcher could be hijacked by other apps to hack the user's device. Epic Games requested that Google wait 90 days after the exploit was patched to publish the findings, but they were published after a week. Epic CEO Tim Sweeney said that the report was a PR strategy that was motivated by his company's unusual decision to distribute the game independent of Google's Play Store, thereby avoiding Google's cut of 30% of all revenue. Mm. So we know that um, since Fortnite launched on iOS for Apple devices earlier in the year, it's net Apple via that similar 30% tax, uh, nearly $80 million. So they might be like bypassing that, but it's a big freaking deal. Like it's a kind of a 
big friction stirrer between them and Google, between Epic Games and Google, like just not giving them the money. There you so, go. Yeah, Google have a bit of a um, a bit of a motivator, a motive mm. to uh, kind of discredit Fortnite and get less people using it, and to try and get it on the Google Play Store. I feel like Fortnite has just gotten so big at this point that it's enveloping itself. All of this, this this is this is some juicy, not so fantastic news. Mm. Yeah, yeah, not that great. No. Mm. You do not want to miss out on oh, the next no. game we're talking about. <laughs> oh, Smooth. What are we talking about, Ray? <laughs> it's a game called Donut County, and it's a uh, whimsical, cute little puzzly game, which is available for most platforms. I'm playing it on the PC, but I think it's also available on iOS and Android, um, maybe consoles too. Um, it's one of the strangest games I've played this year. Have Why you guys ever played... Um, a Japanese game called Katamari Damacy. Oh, yeah. I've seen Katamari, yeah. Yeah, so you're like a little thing that's... Magnetizing A magnetizing little fairy guy. There's this whole storyline, but basically you roll around levels collecting stuff, and then your ball of stuff gets bigger until eventually... Enormous. Yeah, yeah. You're picking up cars and houses, and then all of a sudden... (laughs) People, everything, just everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's crazy. This is like... Like that but in reverse. So what has happened is this raccoon who lives in uh, Donut County has been playing around with this app. And this app controls a hole that kind of just goes around on the ground. And um, the story is about the downfall of the town, like literally. Uh, as he uh, his sort of whole moving antics get out of hand. Oh, goodness. And he ends up swallowing <laughs> the entire... City. Oh boy! So, um, it's. Uh, I'll give you a quick note on the story, which is actually quite fascinating. Um, the present day is like set 999 feet below the ground in this cavern. You know, deep in below the a big surface. hole, a big hole right. in keeping with the thematic. Yeah, and he's sort of telling the story about how they all came to be down there because they've got like all of the town's residents are just sitting around a campfire and there's like old caravans and chairs and things that have fallen down from above just around them. And so they kind of each take turns in explaining what happened. And then as they uh, go on with the anecdote, you take control of of the whole. Right. <laughs> so, and your finger controls the whole, like... Uh, maybe on, on the mobile devices. Right. Because, um, like, it's moving along the ground and you're swallowing things up with it. Yeah. So, you'll you'll see, like, a backyard, for example. There'll be a table set up with some chairs and there might be, a, you know, a bird in a cage. There might be a cat playing with a ball of yarn, some pebbles on the ground, tufts of grass. A barn house. Maybe. And I then just the watched hole a, comes along. I watched, yeah. I, I watched a barn house get swallowed up by a big hole, and, like, you had to, like, move, like, the hole to get it, like, to... Because it wouldn't fit. Be it, like, using physics, you mm-hmm. could, like, flip it and, and get it swallowed yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, it's very physics-based. Is so that fun? It is. So your hole begins very small, like, really small. And you'll notice, like, when you move it underneath the leg of the, the table, for example, only that the leg will kind of... Go in and it'll, and but it won't go away and it'll just like move the the table a little bit. So you have to go around and like pick up pebbles, bits of dirt, 
rocks. Right, and then it grows. So the idea is the opposite of cal- um, katamari in the sense. Calamari. Calamari. <laughs> Deli- I'm so hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite in the sense that you're removing things and not collecting things. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But it's still the same in essence as in it grows and size. Yeah, so you feed okay. the hole and the hole gets bigger. Right. And as you go around, um, as your hole gets bigger, you'll obviously be able to swallow larger and larger objects. And therein lies the progression. Um, right. So <laughs> there is like a sort of order in which you have to do everything. For example, you can't eat the, the house straight away. You have to first eat the chairs, the tables, any pets or bunnies that are lying oh. around. <laughs> That's um, just exactly what I ate, Katamari. And hey, <laughs> like that. Why do they have to get swallowed up? I'm not sure. Uh-huh. And what's what's the overall aim? So obviously, is it to complete it within a time frame to get as much as you can within no, a time frame? No, there's there's or? no time limit, and I think it's um, it's for the better. I know Katamari had a very strict time limit based yeah. sort of progression system, um, and it kind of made it very frantic. This is the opposite. Yeah. You kind of you just chill there. You know, you don't, there's no pressure to to move the hole around. You just do it at your own pace, and you discover you know, what can fall down the hole in your own time. Ah, there you go. So it's kind of a relaxing sort of... Yeah. You do ah, get ranked at the, You get ranked at the end of the level, um, depending on how efficient you were, however. Oh, yeah. based on efficiency, not mm. time. Yes. Uh, there'll be funny interactions as well, depending on what you uh, allow to fall into the hole. Um, for example, you might move over a stream and your hole will get full of water. Oh. And then nothing will go down. In fact, ducks will just swim around in your hole. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> and, and so you have to find this, um, I don't know the name for it, but you know those, those, um, those toy plastic birds that bob up and down in a glass of water? Yeah. What do you, what do you call them? I don't know. Bobbing birds bobbing, a glass, bobbing birds. the, the oh, bob yeah. up and down in a glass of water. That's, <laughs> That's an appropriate name. There's, there's one of those uh, conspicuously in the corner of the um, of the yard and you just have to like move your hole underneath its mouth to drain it and then you can continue swallowing things. Right. Do you think that the developers of this game were aware of the potential euphemisms that might be involved with people talking about this oh, game? Oh, I'm pretty sure they they counted on it. Yeah. yeah. Lo- good old innuendo. Yeah. <laughs> you know... Keeping the straight face. Yeah, but mm. hey, it's a cute. It, it's a it's a really cute looking game. Like the game itself looks like you know it doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, like that art style is is really attractive. Mm. Um, it's kind of a cartoony cell shaded yeah. look. Um, there's lots of cute little animals. Most of the main characters are anthropomorphic animals, like raccoons or cats and dogs and things like that. Um, and they all use smartphones and they all use really hip internet slang that's adorable like they say cool spelt k-e-w-l and they'll they'll say l-o-l out loud for some reason those people you know that hole is lit (laughs) yeah stuff like that it can get a little bit i don't know grating depending on you know your view of that language i mean I'm sure the youngsters will find it entertaining. It's not always <laughs> easy to, as if English is your second language. It's a good point. Uh, because I've had incidences where I've used, like, LOL or, or whatever, and there's been a bit of a language barrier, and they yeah. have no idea mm. what I'm saying. So I wonder if that... 
there's something I haven't thought about. Like, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, personally speaking, I've never gone in depth enough um, learning another, another language, you know, myself being uh, primarily an English speaker, to know how that would be on the other side of the fence when it comes to, like, uh, you know, idiosyncratic language or mm. um, or, or slang or, or things like that. But a lot of slang, like, and, and that sort of stuff develops so rapidly. Like, yeah. even people of older generations... Who speak that language can't keep up. Well, exactly. Like my mom used to think LOL was lots of love. And she would say things like, I miss you, <laughs> So lol. wholesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, why are you laughing about that? So, Ray, you've, uh, you're, you've got LOL for Donut County, lots of love? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. It is very whimsical. It's just a really chill and different game. Um, you know, it's a real nice break from all the other frantic time-based puzzle games that you can play. Uh, however, it is a little bit short. So it's one of those games where, like, if you enjoy shorter, more different kind of um, memorable experiences, it's good for that. If you're looking for a game that you can grind until Christmas, um, <laughs> if this is not the game. There's not a whole lot there. There's uh, not a whole hey. We've been talking about Donut County, which is available for, I've just tracked it down, iOS, Mac, Windows, and PlayStation 4. Good stuff. Fantastic. You're listening to the Z Games radio show with me, Razor, Adrian, and Evie. Now, Evie, last weekend you had the privilege of attending the Australian Virtual Reality Film Festival that was held at the Powerhouse, the Brisbane Powerhouse. And I understand it was your first foray into the world of virtual reality. It it was um, not not ever. I've have had some VR experience with mobile devices, which was shocking, and I was kind of like, no, never again. I feel sick. However, at the powerhouse, I, I was actually really shocked at how immersive virtual reality is, and also because this place was hosting some of international, like the, the best short films and sort of virtual reality art experiences. I mm. was I was really I was really taken away and a lot of it was quite emotional. Uh I went with my partner and and she did one that was called Dinner Party. So this is a short film that's being yeah. played in a virtual so reality headset. One, you've got 1 hour in, at the festival and and basically you can walk around and each film is about 10 to 15 minutes. And you go put your headset on and you can walk around the virtual space of this film watching a story or Mainly stories. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then you take it off and go wait and queue for another one. So it's an interactive yeah. film. It is interactive. Mm. Yes. It's not responsive to you, but you can move through the space of that film. Yes. How does that work logistically? Obviously, you know, films are, are known for being very tightly directed and being such a passive medium. How do you move around without it ruining, it's, I guess, what was intended to be? It's very guided. Right. As in... For the one Natalie did, my partner, she she did dinner party, and it was about an alien abduction based on true experiences of these people saying they were adopted by aliens. Spooky. Yeah, and it was actually real footage. It was real people. It was a, like a film, but full three D, three hundred sixty around you while you were moving through the space. Wow. And you sort of fell the beginning. You sort of fall in from out of space. You can look around. There's like stars everywhere around you. And you're slowly sort of floating into this living room or small apartment mm. onto the dining room table while there are actual actors around talking. And you, you basically can move through the scene. 
through the space. You can see the dinner guests. You can see the main characters. And, and you can choose who to pay attention to like uh, while they're speaking? No, the audio is very much focused on the storyline. However, right. where you move doesn't change doesn't change that just obviously the direction of where the voice is coming from depends on where you are in the room but you can't you can't actually move you can't move very much it's very guided that you stay in a particular space because you're going to be traveling through time okay so uh, you, you can look around and move or, or you can't move the throughout one the scene? Natalie did you couldn't move very much you could look around and you can move a little bit but not much uh, and the one that I did, you can move around quite a lot. Mm. Uh, again, it's still guided. You're sort of limited in the space that you can move anyway with a headset on, so you can't actually move too far. Uh, it's not... Uh, and there's no controls in your hands. It's all, obviously, because it's a film, you're you're sort of witnessing what's happening around you. What was the coolest thing you witnessed? The one that I did, which was... Uh, I think it was called Inside Manus, which is uh, Inside Manus harness the immersive power of virtual reality storytelling to uh, take the audience beyond the rays of wire of Manus Island Immigration Detention Center. Wow. Yeah. So that's, and a couple of them touch on some real world uh, stories and storytelling and retelling in a virtual space. Yeah, that's heavy. And it was really heavy. It was my first virtual reality. It's like, after 10, 15 minutes when it was over, I was like, oh. You're right in the deep end. Damn. That was that was intense. And that covered, it was drawn. It was all hand-drawn style. It wasn't very vivid. You could tell that obviously wasn't reality. Right. Uh, and it was based around these three different stories, three different guys who were trapped on the island. They'd been incarcerated there, and it talked a little bit about their life before when they were trying to seek refuge, how they ended up there, and kind of how grim it all is mm. in the end and it was quite yeah that was quite gut-wrenching quite moving and because it was because it was virtual reality it's so immersive you can't just like look away because you're looking away and like I might be watching him one of the characters talk about how they lost their livestock mm. or something and we'd be all of a sudden in the desert and I'd look around and as I walk look 360 around I could see that they were in drought mm. and then they would move on and sort of talked about these people that were hunting his family and the tribe and the sky would go black and everything around you sort of changed to the mood of what that st that person's story. Wow. It was really intense, really clever, very beautiful. Too. Obviously really interesting and important story to be telling. In terms of the way it's being told, do you think, you know, virtual reality, you know, new technology, super interesting. Um, obviously, when one thinks of VR, you immediately think, well, it's more immersive, it's more in your face, it's, it's more impactful. Mm -hmm. Do you think that choosing that medium virtual reality to tell that story is 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 the best place to do it or do you think it's 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 still a matter of this is an emerging technology is an interesting you know way to view a piece of art but maybe it's not necessarily the best or do you think that there's really something here there is definitely something there in terms of uh it being the best right now i'm going to say no because i I still felt a little nauseous at points. Mm. Uh, Natalie still felt a bit nauseous with some of them as well. So you still... And this is like the best of the best uh, internationally, this stuff. Uh, and and we were sort of a bit like, it's still not at a grade where there aren't glitches or bugs or problems because there were still some issues with equipment while we were there. Some of the, some of the techies who were helping out, everyone put their headsets on and stuff. 
they were still struggling to get it right. Obviously a big issue when you're dealing with such an immersive medium where you want yes. it to be seamless. And the sensors around you as well. Uh, it's it's quite, it's a big rig. Mm. Um, and it's not 100% refined yet. So that's a big thing that I noticed. However, in saying that, my experience with this particular story and telling very intense stories, such as the one that I that I saw, I think it's perfect because you have at no point any time to to be distracted from what's what's happening around you. It is it's very very immersive. Yeah, like you can't have your phone in your hand. Yeah. yeah, you know, I really I really appreciated what they'd done to create this experience and also the feeling that it left me with. And when I took the headset off, I'm like, whoa, back to reality. That's mm. what it felt like. I felt like, whoa, okay, I just went on a journey then. I think that, yeah, great films told in a really interesting way have the really powerful ability to do that, like to transport you somewhere else and make you feel that disconnect from reality to the point that when you realize that you're back in reality, you go, oh, okay, I'm I'm, I'm back again. Like, pin- pinch me. Yeah, like, this yeah. is reality. I remember I had that feeling when I um, came out of watching... Uh, Avatar, when that was in cinemas, the oh, James Cameron film in 3D. I watched that again the other week, actually. And, like, seeing that in 3D when 3D hadn't, you know, become massive yet, you know, when that had just come out and that sort of mm. pioneered the 3D um, movement back in commercial cinema, that was incredible. And I remember leaving the cinema going, wow, whoa, crikey, like, I'm back I'm back in reality now. Like, that, for me, like, that 3D was such an immersive yeah. experience. And I imagine you had a similar experience with VR. I definitely did. And I, I sort of have a bit of perspective on it. My dad, he's much older, is... He's born in the 1930s, to give a bit of uh, time on that. So he's in like mid-80s now. <laughs> and I remember going to see Avatar with him, and he cried. Wow. Because, you know, he's he's like Charlie Chaplin was what he grew up with. Yeah. You know, like slapstick or like pop-up notes and the screen. And, like, it's and, a far like, cry a from that. <laughs> yeah, to to Avatar, and, and he was crying. He went back and saw it three times, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, and, and now I'm thinking like... Even further, because here down at the powerhouse, when I went to the v- VR, I was like, my dad would be blown away. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is, he, he could actually move through the movie. That's move awesome. through yeah. that film. Yeah. And all in that space of his lifetime, which is, that's insane. That's mm. really insane. You're going to make me cry, Evie. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> For me, though, like, I see virtual reality not as like the next step beyond 3D. Like 3D, I think, while very powerful and, and it does add an extra element of immersion to a viewing experience, I feel it's more like a, a kind of just like a tack-on thing that makes it a little <sighs> bit more so a little more interesting, more depth. a little bit more interesting. Whereas yeah. I see virtual reality as a completely new medium that's going to redefine how we're going to consume media and in mm. creating art as well. At this point, though, I think it's going to redefine my bank account because it is very expensive. <laughs> well, hey. Very expensive to to get decent equipment uh, and play it. Really, mm. it is very expensive right now. It's not easily accessible technology for everyone, and it's still not like I said, one hundred percent. I mean, to be in a space with the best of the best and enjoying these incredible stories, I still had. Oh, oh that made me feel a little not mm. good and stuff like that. Why can't we just evolve faster and not get motion sickness? God I damn don't it. I know. <laughs> we worked with Cars, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian we'll uh, Virtual Reality Film Festival has concluded, but uh, if you're interested, make sure you check out around this time next year. Uh, it was at the Powerhouse this year, probably the same venue next year in 2019. I imagine so, yeah. So look out for that. Cyberpunk 2077. Not 48? 
2040. <laughs> you know, I was looking at, I was watching Blade Runner, and I think that <laughs> I was going to say, and then I was playing Wipeout, and there's there's twenties all every year's represented. Well, in look, sci-fi. If, if you've watched Blade Runner, you've you've, you've pretty much set yourself up. You, you've you've had the the palate cleanse, the no the entree. You've had the entree to Cyberpunk twenty seventy. Seven. It doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? Uh, because this game, as you know, is written in the title, is 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 a cyberpunk game, um, just like you know the classic Blade Runner, um, set in a cyberpunk universe where society is extremely futuristic um, and not necessarily utopian. It's quite dark, isn't it? Dystopian, some yeah, might yeah. say. <laughs> Uh, so, CD Projekt Red released a whole bunch of gameplay footage, never before seen. We, we had not seen gameplay of this game, and everyone was wondering, what's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? And it looks hot. It looks so hot. I'm a massive fan of the cyberpunk genre. I'm also a massive fan of games like Deus Ex. Uh, some might remember Deus Ex Human Revolution um, as one of the more recent titles in that series Mm -hmm. cyberpunk is going to look very familiar to you if you have played the deus ex series this is a first person role-playing game set in a massive world uh with a whole slew of interesting characters cyborgs androids whatever i'm not sure what they are i haven't actually sat down and watched the whole gameplay footage because there is a lot of it there's there's just under an hour of it Mm. actually um, so a lot to scrub through, and I believe uh, Evie and Ray, you haven't had a chance to catch it yet, no, have you? Not yet. Yeah, but you, you've got it. You got it on your list. Like I'm going to dedicate some time to check Absolutely. that out. Absolutely, it's it's a really big deal um, because The Witcher Three, one of the best games of the generation. Massive deal, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just looking forward to this, and everything I've seen from the game looks looks fantastic. It looks so good. Um, the car, I've got to say, I mm-hmm. just absolutely went nuts at the car. So in the game, you have this futuristic sports car that kind of looks like a DeLorean. It's kind of like... I think one of the great things about Cyberpunk is it's got one foot in the 80s. It's like and a, it's a DeLorean cross sort of like Corvette almost. Look. Yeah, I don't know my yeah. cars very well, but it's something like <laughs> okay, that. All right, you know, it's got then. one foot in the 80s and one foot in what the 80s thought the future would look like. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I love so much about it. Uh, so you've got this really, really sick car that you can ride around in. And look, I'm, I'm really hoping that we get some roach level uh, glitches if CD Projekt's games and their mode of transportation or anything to go by. The horse and the witcher provided endless amounts of comedy. I hope the car does the same. And if not, it's bloody cool, so that's fine. Nice. But speaking of futuristic-style games... And androids. Yes. Blade Runners. Oh, yes. Also. Yeah. Uh, Detroit Become Human. I was playing after Ray had reviewed it, and I thought, I really want to give this thing a go. So I borrowed it, and I I loved it. Hey, it was... um, it's one of the most immersive games I've played in a while, and it's definitely emotionally investive because you get so attached to these characters. Uh, it's it's set in the future, not not as far as 2077. 2048? No. No, not even that. 2038, actually, I think. It's about 20 years, yeah. 20 years ahead. And basically it's set where androids, uh, AI androids, live in your house and do your... You're cleaning and take care of the kids. Uh, they serve your needs pretty much, and they're actually quite cost effective. I'm pretty sure they're only three thousand dollars US mm. in game. Okay, and it's I was like, cheap. "Damn, I'm gonna get me a couple of them in twenty years." So, and and basically, <laughs> the story begins where androids becoming deviant, mm. as in starting to develop their own feelings and thought patterns, and that's sort of where the game sort of takes off. 
Uh, and Ray was saying that, you know, it touches on a lot of uh, civil rights movements in terms of androids wanting free freedom of speech, mm. wanting to be considered alive and so on. And you have these three characters, which you get introduced to quite quite at the beginning of the game. You have Connor, who's this uh, investigative android. He's an android that's, you know, hired by the police to investigate these deviant androids. And then you have another android who's uh, Marcus, and he stays at home and takes care of his father figure, who's um, an artist and crippled in a wheelchair, and, and you follow him around. And then you also follow Kara and this little girl. And Kara is an android who is obviously taking care of the home and taking care of the little girl and, and sort of doing the housework for this single father. And it starts off where you've got these three sort of story arcs that you that you work with. And it's a bit like those, uh, what was that book, Goosebumps, that you read as a kid. Mm. And, you know, you can choose the direction of the story. Mm. It's yeah. exactly like that. Love that. Love a where, choose your own adventure. Yeah. You make a decision and you go, all right, I've got to flick to page 24. It's like that. You've got, <laughs> it's like, okay, this is the decision that's going to lead me to who knows what. And you can die. You can screw it up. Uh, Did you at, cry at any point? A, a couple of times was very intense. <laughs> I want to um, play it now. I love games that make me feel something because I'm dead inside. It is. It, it is. It's very... It's heavy, man. It's really heavy. It's got, it's got some themes that verge on uh, sort of genocide, Holocaust feeling elements to it, which was really heavy. Mm. Uh, you can actually avoid those circumstances if you play uh, luckily and make better decisions than I did and Ray, because Ray apparently didn't make. Good to know. Okay, yeah, we yeah. both we yeah. both uh, didn't make the best choices. Uh, his was his ending was more bleak the first run through than mine, however. Um, yeah, real downer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to sort of put my controller aside and sort of just breathe. Yeah, just you spent two days the, going sat through on that the too. Couch and just looked into the distance, thinking, <laughs> "Oh man, that was really sad." That could be the future. <laughs> yeah, in a modern day scenario, I suppose if that was to happen, it would be more like the revolt of the Roombas. Yeah, or the you know, robotic-controlled vacuum cleaners that are currently in our house. That's mm. the extent of cybernetic intelligence that we currently have in, in a domestic scenario but it's amazing to think about what could happen in the future in that regard when you know when it the, makes the, you think about it yeah the sure. idea of like a household mm. robotic assistant gets you yeah, know, more so advanced when I reviewed the game initially uh, our esteemed colleague Lee our co-host Lee um, he kind of dismissed the game out of hand because uh, he didn't think that representing real world persecution and discrimination uh, could be done fairly within the narrative of a game about robots. Mm. And um, I had to sort of defend the game's use of that of that metaphor. Evie, do you think, like, that well, is a bit, you know... It, I, I, I love Lee and I respect him, but he also is a white straight man. And as a gay gay white woman, <laughs> I think they did a fantastic job, actually. Of, of touching on scenarios that they were delicate about it. They made it true. They made it... It was grim in elements, but that's the truth the truth of revolution. And they they did a very liberal justice, if that makes sense. If nice. I can say that right. But yeah, I, I feel... I, I personally related to uh, the Android's experience more so than I think it was with maybe um, other civil rights movements because androids were coming out as deviant you know, they were blending into society and doing their function, and then they were coming out as deviant. So it was a different experience. Yeah, 
we be talking about Detroit become human, or is it becoming human? Become human. Become human. Yeah. yeah thanks very much, Evie. <laughs> You've been listening to the Z Games show. Uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. Thanks so much for your uh, company tonight. Right, catch you guys next See week. See ya. Bye.